Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you today. In this Christmas season of giving, we uh, are taking a look, a deeper look at the gift that got this season started, and that is the gift of forgiveness. Today, we're going to talk about how forgiveness has a kind of a ground zero type of an effect. If you ask um, anyone in this country where ground zero is, uh, we will all, of course, point to New York at the side of the World Trade Center. If you ask someone in Japan where ground zero is, they would probably point to uh, probably Hiroshima. Uh, in Poland, if you ask someone in Poland, where's your ground zero? It would, I think it would be the shipyards in Gdansk where the conflict with the Communist Party uh, came to a head a few decades ago. Now, technically, ground zero is the place on the ground directly below a nuclear explosion. So it, it's the flashpoint. It's the place for an atomic chain reaction. And here's a picture of one of the early nuclear explosions tests. Uh, it's the place where this occurs. The chain reaction reaches critical mass, and a tremendous explosion uh, emanates from that point. So why do we call places like the World Trade Center ground zero? I mean, a nuclear bomb did not go off there. Well, ground zero has kind of become a, a phrase we use for more than just nuclear explosions. It's it's the place, for example, in New York, is the place where a conflict reached critical mass and exploded. And the shockwaves from that moment in time on 9-11 and that place have reverberated around the world and really have changed our lives in significant ways. And that's what ground zero type moments do. They, sen they send shockwaves out from the center. Now, the conflict, of course, doesn't have to be a global one for... The, the chain reaction to cause a ground zero type of an event. You know, personal conflicts have the same kind of impact that these global ones do. The mushroom cloud, of course, may not be visible in these relational conflicts. Uh, they're not going to make the news. But the fallout of even our personal conflicts continues to, to linger on, kind of like radiation does. Now, there are many places in history, of course, where conflict has boiled over into a ground zero type of an event. But the ground zero of all ground zeros really took place 2,000 years ago on a cross. And on a, a hill outside of Jerusalem, a conflict, the conflict really behind all conflicts, the one between God and the enemy that had been brewing for millennia, reached critical mass. And on that day and in that place, as the sky turned black and the rocks split, it became clear that this was not just an ordinary crucifixion, something much bigger was going on here. It turned out to be the ground zero of forgiveness. The only thing that is powerful enough to counter the destructive nature of sin and conflict. Now earlier that year, before that ground zero moment on the cross, Jesus had explained the tremendous power of forgiveness to his disciples and in particular to Peter. Peter was facing a relational ground zero of some kind. We don't know what it was, but he asked a question that we've really all asked. And that is, how many times do I have to keep forgiving this person? This is how Peter said it in Matthew 18, verse 21 through 22. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Now that sounds like a lot. But Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And then Jesus proceeds to tell a parable about a king who decides to, to collect on his debt. And so he calls in those who owe him money, and as the story, the parable proceeds, a particular man who owes 
the king a tremendous amount of money. In today's dollars, it would be $700 million. That's how much this man was in debt to the king. This man is brought before the king, and he has absolutely no way of paying off a debt of this size. And so he just falls on his knees, and he begs for mercy because there was no bankruptcy in these days. All, all that was available was debtor's prison until you paid off the debt, which means he'd spend the rest of his life there. So he begs for mercy because he doesn't have what he needs to pay the, the debt off. And amazingly, the king forgives. He doesn't just delay. He doesn't give him an extra year. So he, he wipes out the complete $700 million of debt. And as the forgiven man is leaving the king's chamber, the court, he sees a guy who owes him $800. And the scene is immediately reversed. He goes up to this man and he demands the $800. Well, this man, like him, didn't have, doesn't have the $800. And he begs for time. He begs for mercy. But the recently forgiven man, the one who'd just been forgiven $700 million, will have none of it. And he has the $800 man arrested and thrown in prison until he can pay back everything he owes. Now, the point of this story is, is pretty obvious. The point that Jesus is making is the forgiveness that he's about to offer to us on the cross is about more than just a one-on-one -on -one transaction. It's about more than just God forgiving the debt of our sin. It is intended to be a ground zero kind of an event. It, it is intended to start a chain reaction of forgiveness that goes outward from us. When we forgive, we unleash an incredible power. And that power is expanded in, in a couple of ways. The first is it's, it's, it's exponential. Forgiveness is exponential. That's one of the powers behind forgiveness. It has the power to, well, to be kind of a chain reaction. So Peter's original question that preceded this story was really a math question about forgiveness. How many times? Lord, how many times, he says, should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? So Peter sees forgiveness as, as a loss, as a minus. And honestly, Peter has a point in viewing it this way. This is the way we tend to view forgiveness. <clears throat> Every time that we're wrong, it really is a a minus, it's a debit, it's a withdrawal from us personally. Someone wrongs us, they hurt us. <coughs> and justice then pays for the wrong. It pays back the debt of the wrong that's been done. It's a plus. Justice is designed to be a plus to counter the minus of the wrong. So, for example, when a person is released from prison, having served their time, we now say what? They've paid their debt to society. The minus of the crime has been paid for by the plus of the justice. And so to forgive, to set aside justice in that moment and forgive, is to cancel the debt. And so Peter's question really is quite reasonable and logical. Jesus, what's the limit? How much debt, how much personal wrong am I supposed to just forgive, to cancel? Now the consensus of the day was three. I don't know why it became that, but that was kind of the idea, was that, you know, up to three, but after three, you know, it's asking too much to keep forgiving someone after they've wronged you three times. So that was kind of the consensus, but Peter decided to go big, as Peter often did, and he picked a number that seemed to be God's favorite, and that was seven, and so he's, he just launched with seven, thinking maybe Jesus would really compliment him. 
for his generous, forgiving heart. But Jesus doesn't just, you know, say, well, that, that's great, Peter. He doesn't, and he doesn't even just challenge him and add to that number. He multiplies by that number. Now, some translations of this verse will state it, the number as 77, which is the one I just read you. You'll read some translations that will be 70 times 7, which would be 490. And the reason is because the, the Greek language, which the New Testament is written in, it's, it really could kind of go either way. So it's, it's hard to know, is it 77 or 490? But whether it's 7 times 11 or 7 times 70, the number is too big to keep track of. If you're trying to, you know, is this number 73 or 74? Something's really wrong if you know that number. I mean, it's impossible to keep track of that, let alone the bigger number, 490. So the point that Jesus is making is this, is Peter, forgiveness, you're thinking about it wrongly. Forgiveness is not about a subtraction limit. You know, what's how much debt should I absorb? It's not about a subtraction limit. It's more about a multiplication opportunity. And so Jesus went from subtraction straight to multiplication. The effects of both sin and forgiving that sin are exponential. They multiply. They they expand rapidly. Ground zeros are exponential. They're they're a multiplying effect. Now, when it comes to the nuclear reaction that is the original idea behind ground zero is, you know, the first atom that splits sends off particles that split other atoms and on and on and on until the destruction is immense, until you have an explosion that just destroys so much. And the same factors really are at work when it comes to conflicts. You know, the lone wolf bomber in New York this past week, we call him a lone wolf bomber, but it turns out he wasn't acting alone. He says he was inspired by ISIS. Well, how did ISIS come to be? Well, ISIS was inspired by the Iraq War. A lot of the people left over from the Iraq War pooled together and formed ISIS. Well, how did the Iraq War happen? Well, that was inspired by Saddam Hussein. Well, how did Saddam Hussein... You can just keep going back, and and you'll discover this thing has got a history to it. And that's the way all conflict is, whether it makes the news or not. You know, if, if you had a conflict this week with someone, it wasn't just an isolated incident. Now, it may seem like it was just between you and them, but that was just the spark. The kindling that made it a, a fire had probably been collecting for a long time with both them and you. You know, past conflicts, either between you or, or with you and someone else, wrongs, past wrongs that have been done to you, all of that created the, the ideal conditions for a firestorm. Now, it was still your choice to light that match, but there was a history to it. There was a conflict background to it. And honestly, you can trace every conflict, every sin, all the way back to the ground zero event of sin. The moment when Adam and Eve decided to break with God and go their own way. That first split set off a chain reaction that has multiplied around the world and throughout time. And it appears, honestly, to be unstoppable. I mean, how could you possibly stop it now? 
And then a man claiming to be God showed up a couple thousand years ago and began offering forgiveness. Now, the people of the day responded pretty much in mass by saying, no one but God can forgive. And they were right. I mean, this wasn't the only time someone had tried forgiveness. Oh, throughout human history, it's been tried again and again. But human offers of forgiveness just lack the power to address the scope of the conflict and the sin. Only the offer of forgiveness from God could really turn the tide. And then just on the eve of his crucifixion at a meal, this man, Jesus, stood up at the beginning of the meal and he did something very, very strange. This is what he did in Luke 22, verse 19. And he took the bread, he gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance for me. Well, that made no sense at all. How, how was his death a gift to them? And more importantly, how is his body a gift given to us? Well, it, it turns out it's, it's the gift that began the season of giving. It's the greatest of all gifts, and that is the gift of forgiveness. But how? What does a body have to do with forgiveness? You know, there are only two things that can be done with a chain reaction meltdown. Whether it's nuclear chain reaction meltdown or the meltdown of sin in this world that was started by Adam and Eve. There's only two options that are available. Once the chain reaction starts, once the meltdown begins, there's only two things you can do. Either you can seal it off or you can absorb it. That, that's the only two options that are available whether it's radiation or whether it's sin. Let's look at the first one. You can, you can seal off the meltdown. You know, that's what's being done right now in Chernobyl with that nuclear meltdown that occurred several decades ago. You know, this is the new sarcophagus that was recently constructed and slid over the site of the Chernobyl meltdown because radiation continued to leak from that site, and th there's just no way to stop that chain reaction. So the international community came together. The Ukraine didn't have the money to build this thing. And they put the money together to protect the world from the fallout, the ongoing fallout of this reactor. So it's, it's called the sarcophagus. It's, it's how this nuclear reactor is, is sealed. That, that's really all you can do once you get to a meltdown stage is to seal it off. It can't be stopped. It has to be contained. But what about sin? How, how do you seal off the meltdown that is sin. Well, the containment vessel for that is hell. That's what hell is. It's God's containment vessel for sin. Now, honestly, most people right now think hell is a, a joke, a cruel joke, or just a simple impossibility, or just God being mean and angry and upset. But honestly, hell is the only practical approach. It's the only way to contain the unstoppable meltdown that is sin. You've got to seal it off. And that's what God will do. Eventually, he will seal it off. But thankfully, out of love, 
God does something very impractical. Right now, he goes for option number two. The only other way to stop a meltdown is to absorb the radiation. Now, that's what's done with nuclear reactors that power cities. Is, you know, it's, it's a nuclear reaction. There is a chain reaction going on, but control rods are lowered into the core of the reactor. Here's a picture right, you know, of control rods. You can see the glow of the reactor in chain reaction mode, but these control rods are inserted into the very core. Holes are drilled, or you know, when it's built, are into the, the reactor core, and these control rods are inserted into the reactor, and they're made of a material that allows them to absorb all of the radiation, all of the neutrons, without themselves splitting. Now, that's the way you control a nuclear reaction. When it comes to sin, that meltdown, none of us are made of the material that can absorb sin. I mean, like Peter, we can absorb some. We might imagine absorbing seven from one person, but eventually we're going to reach our limit and we're going to split because of the sin they've done to us. We're going to start sinning. We're going to join the chain reaction and it continues through us. And that's just one person. We're not just facing one person who's wronged us seven times or nine times. We are in the middle of a global sin meltdown. I mean, if you just look, take an honest look at history, this place is out of control. It's, it's everywhere. Now, we can forgive some, but we can't forgive enough. Only God can do that. So, God took on a body. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. God in flesh, the only substance capable of absorbing the sins of the world. Now, just to be very clear, this absorbing procedure, this sin-absorbing procedure, like absorbing radiation in a nuclear reactor, it can't be done at a distance. Sin can't be absorbed at the distance of heaven. God can't in heaven say, I absolve everyone, I absorb sin. Any more than control rods here can absorb radiation from a reactor on the East Coast. I mean, they've got to be on site. Sin is here on earth. It's not in heaven. You have to go to the scene of the meltdown and insert, and insert the control rods into that reactor. So God could not absorb our sin at a distance. So he lowered himself to earth. That's, that's why he became a baby. And then he lowered himself further all the way to the cross. And he died and absorbed the meltdown of our sin. His body, as he said at that supper, given for us. That's what it means. Now, it's not enough for Jesus just to come to earth and die in our place. Like I said, sin like radiation can't be absorbed generally. It can't be absorbed globally. Jesus must be inserted into the core of your life and my life. And that's an individual decision. Everyone makes that decision. And so we have two options. Our sin can either be sealed off in a sarcophagus for all of eternity, or it can be absorbed in Christ. Those are the only two options. This is why forgiveness is exponential. But it doesn't only just go outward. Forgiveness also goes inward. 
So forgiveness is also reciprocal. In other words, it, it comes back on us. The decision to forgive affects us. It comes back on us. You know, if you're at ground zero, you're in the blast zone. You can't escape its effects. The same is true whether it's conflict or the forgiveness that responds to the conflict. The decision to forgive or not forgive doesn't just affect the one who's done the wrong. It affects others, everyone close by. It gets God's attention. Mostly, though, it affects us. When the man in the story decided not to forgive, that decision landed him in debtor's prison. I I would encourage you to read this entire story sometime this week. But it lands him in debtor's prison. Here's the end of the story, Matthew 18, 31 through 35. When the other servants saw what had happened, so this is after the $700 million man refused to forgive the $800 man, the servants saw what happened. They were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how your heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Notice how this decision to not forgive comes right back on him. I mean, first, the other servants are affected. They saw what, was, what happened, and, and they're greatly distressed. And this is true today. When we decide not to forgive, it's our decision, but it doesn't just affect us. It affects everyone close by. People are watching, and more importantly, they're impacted by what they see. And then God gets involved. The master does. God sees, and often he then works to convince us of how big of a deal forgiveness really is to him. And one of the ways God does this is he locks us in the prison of our own making. You know, the prison of non-forgiveness is often referred to as bitterness. And the prison of bitterness is a is one of the darkest dungeons ever constructed by mankind. It has jailers that torture those in those prisons relentlessly. And so what's interesting is whenever we don't forgive, it's because we are intending to continue to punish the wrongdoer, but in in fact, we end up putting ourselves in prison and punishing ourselves. And the truth is, all of us are in that prison. I dare say very few of us, if any of us, are completely free of any bitterness because we haven't totally forgiven. We've forgiven some, but not everyone and not totally. And so the only way out of that prison is by paying back all that we owe or getting them to pay back everything they owe us. And that's impossible. So we can't even forgive well enough to earn God's forgiveness. That's how deep of a hole we're in. So at the same meal where Jesus began by breaking bread and saying that it symbolized his body given for us, he ended the meal in a very strange way also. Here's how he ended the meal. Verse 20, the next verse. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant my blood, which is poured out for you. Well, again, what does that mean? Well, a covenant, first of all, is a a contract. 
between two parties. The Old Covenant was written in the Old Testament portion of the Bible. And it contained God's covenant. It contained the moral boundaries of how God intends for us to live our life. And what was interesting about the Old Testament is often right next to the statements of God's covenant, of His law, is the record of how people kept violating that law. They kept running over those moral boundaries and breaking that covenant. And that's what the Old Testament is, is here's how God designed life to be, and here's how people are doing with that. Not good. And that may be the Old Testament, but it's still, a testament means written record. It's still the current testament for us. It's the same today. Next to what God says is right and wrong is the record of my life and the record of your life. Detailed explanations of how we keep breaking God's laws. Now, the details will differ, but the records also show the same result. And then Jesus stands up at this meal and speaks of a new covenant, not just a new set of rules, not just, hey, you know what? God decided he thinks very differently now about these things. This is no longer right and wrong. This is now right and wrong. That's not the new covenant. The new covenant is a new covenant in his blood. Let's get stranger and stranger. What is the new contract offer then from God? Well, it's simply this. Accept the perfect life of Jesus given in exchange for your imperfect life. And what will then happen is the detailed record of your life will be written in his blood. The law of God is still the same, but what your record is written in, the ink will now be different. It'll be written in his blood. Well, what does that mean? Well, let's get practical. Let's just go on a limb and say you sin this week. I know it's hard to believe, but you do something wrong this week. Or I'll, I'll go out there on a limb with you. I sin this week. And that sin, along with all the others that you and I have committed, is entered into the permanent record under our name that is kept by God. His laws and how we've broken them. And those records are recorded in one of two inks. The ink of your life or the ink of Christ's life. Your life blood, that's really what every day you're spilling your life blood for something. Your life blood or his life blood. Now the words, just to be saying, the words are the same. The record's the same. The facts are the same. Let's get real practical. Let's say you lie this week or I lie this week. You lie today, both the ink of your life and the ink of Christ will, be, will say the same thing. Let's say liar. You know, we'll represent ours in black and the blood of Christ in red. That's the facts. God's law is very clear about honesty, and we've just broken that law. The difference between the two inks is how permanent they are. Our lifeblood is a permanent record. It's a record of how we use our time here on earth. The blood of Christ is like writing an invisible ink. It's accurate, but then it disappears. Why? Forgiven. His perfect life, his perfect life blood, given in exchange for our imperfect life blood. 
You know, it took over 10 years to construct a suitable memorial for Ground Zero in New York. It really took about 14 years to get kind of everything put together. And I remember probably the first five or six years, there was so much debate about what Ground Zero memorials should look like. And there was heated debates and arguments. There was just a lot of debate about it because, and I understand why. I mean, how, how could you ever capture in physical form the essence of what happened on 9-11 in 2001. But, but a memorial is needed. I mean, you, you, we've got to memorialize it in some way, that Ground Zero event. And the reason is because not everyone was there. I wasn't there. And time has a way of fading the memory of what took place. I mean, this generation wasn't alive. The, the younger generation wasn't alive when this happened. They've heard about it, but... They don't remember it like those of us who were hearing it on the TV for the first time and watching the towers. I mean, they don't remember it like that. So as time goes on, people could just forget. And there's some things like that that we should never forget. And that's why you, you saw, and you still do for years later, these, you know, whether it's on fire trucks or in state, you know, we will never forget. Because... We need to remember this. But what about when it comes to the ground zero of forgiveness? What, how should we remember that? Well, Jesus solved the impossible task of finding a way to adequately remember that day. At that meal, not only did he break the bread and declare that it was a symbol of his body given for us, not only did he take up that cup and say it was a symbol of his blood and the new covenant given for us, he went on to say what? Do this in remembrance. The word really is as a memorial of me. Do what I've done at this meal. From time to time, gather, eat pieces of bread to remember the body given for you and drink to remember my blood poured out for you. Now, the great thing about this is no pilgrimage is required. You don't have to fly to New York. This memorial is portable. It can be taken to any corner of the world. And you know, a good memorial has the ability to cover the distance of time and space. I mean, it actually, it puts you there. I've not been to Ground Zoom in New York, but I understand that it really does a great job of putting you there at that time. The memorial that Jesus gave us puts you at the Ground Zero of Forgiveness. I mean, there are two things that we must never forget. His body broken and given to absorb our sin and his blood spilled to be used to now write the record of our life in the ink of his blood. So we're going to do that today. I want to invite the ushers to just come on forward and begin to distribute the bread and the juice. It's all in, in one package, so just go ahead and hang on to it and I'll lead us through this together. Now, if you've Personally, are just kind of investigating what it means to be a Christian? You've not decided yet to make this decision? Just let this pass. Uh, we're not going to single you out at all, but this is, this is for those of us for whom this memorial means what it intends to mean. So if you've not made that decision, we're so glad you're here. Just, just kind of observe this morning as, as we partake in this. And I'll lead us together in just a moment. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, we read this very important instruction about how to conduct this memorial. 
says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. What does that mean, examine ourselves? Well, what it's saying is we're not just remembering some sad event in history that we remember and then move on as if nothing happened. No, th- this is the moment when God's offer of forgiveness was made. The moment when, like the man in the parable, we were forgiven a $700 million debt, a debt we could never begin to pay. So it's a moment not only to be grateful for, but to be changed by. So that's why we need to examine ourselves when we remember this. So like the man in the story, if we're turning around to those who have wronged us and are refusing to forgive them, we're just not remembering or we're not understanding what really took place. So we're going to take a moment together. Not a long moment, but a moment of silence. And in this moment, I want to ask you just individually two questions. Number one, who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? If it's a long list, go as far down that list as you can. But mostly come up with the first person. Who do you need to forgive? And then the second question is, what's the next step you need to take? I mean, maybe there's a conversation that can be had, but maybe that's really not possible or practical, and you need to forgive them without a conversation. You need to let it go. So who do you need to forgive, and what's the next step you need to take? So let's just take a moment in silence, and then I'll lead us to partake of this together. So let's, let's just pray quietly. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great plan of your love, sending your son to absorb our sin. And Jesus, today we remember the price that you paid. We remember your body that was beaten and broken and stabbed so that our sin might be absorbed. And we remember your blood that was spilled, perfect, sinless blood that is now available to write the record of our life, the real record, but written in forgiveness. So Jesus, now we we move from this memorial of what you have done to us out into the world still full of sin. More pointedly, We move out of the world of people who have wronged us and will continue to wrong us. And we ask that you would change us so that we might offer what we have received. We might give the forgiveness that we have been given. And may these decisions of forgiveness be a ground zero moment that begins to spread where we work, the schools that we are in, the communities that we live in, and then throughout this world. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.